here in Australia for now. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast Season 15, Episode 19. We're still in Sydney, despite the mm-hmm. fact that it's, what, day seven of the Test Match, which isn't actually a thing. Well, it is a thing. It was a thing it's in a thing. 1894. It, could, it was uh, a thing in Durban in 1939. Yes. It you still had three days to go, <laughs> and probably a rest day. Uh, but it isn't uh, anymore, sadly, although I think we should bring back timeless yeah. tests. Can we get occasion. one? Can we just get one, uh, maybe as a novelty, I don't know, some sort of, not the 150th anniversary, because that you know the hundredth was a five dayer, but there's I don't mind be... that actually. The sesquicentenary being yeah. timeless to ensure that there's a result. Yeah, maybe the campaign starts here. The campaign starts here. Maybe Brisbane Olympics 2032, 2039. We do a hundredth anniversary of the Durban t- timeless <laughs> test match. <laughs> Okay. It'll be the only test cricket being played in South Africa. Hopefully we're not on the cusp of a global conflict in 2039. We probably would have had one of those by now, the way things are trending. Mm, We'll be on the other side of it, hopefully, (laughs) so long as we don't obliterate the planet. You definitely can't rule that out. Um, Yeah, I I don't know know whether anyone's going to be playing cricket in 2039, but we'll see. Uh, Jeff, you're in a hammock. Mm. Now we've got a barbecue behind us. You won't be in a hammock for long, I suspect. I don't know how sustained it'll little be for you to record the whole (sighs) pod there. I've laid in that hammock a fair bit over the years and... Um, it is quite deep, but you're enjoying yourself. I thought it was a novelty. I thought, like, you know, it'd be funny if, at the start of the video bit if I was just in the hammock, but it's pretty good. I'm not feeling very inclined to get out. <laughs> um, I'm looking up at a perfect blue sky. I mean, yep. they should play cricket in Sydney in early January. This weather is <laughs> absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. You'd be, what, 25 degrees, light ocean breeze. Not a cloud in the proverbial or the literal. It's uh, it's a lovely time to be alive. We've got three different views of water upstairs where we're staying. It might dear friends of mine. Mm. They've got a harbour view at one side, out towards Watson's Bay, another side, and out oh. towards the ocean on the third side. I just, every time I take their dog for a walk, I just feel like I'm going to get arrested. People <laughs> will be like, you do not belong here. <laughs> Go back to the scungy inner northern laneways of Melbourne. Go and do some graffiti art. You're, this yeah. is not for you. This is not your place. I feel like I've, I've snuck in through the back door of Elysium. Right, so we've got a bit to get through before we reach the, the proper parts of the show, and that'll include Daniel Rasool from Crick Info. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was right that we say goodbye to Pakistan, and we haven't really done it properly on the pod. No. Daniel out here with Crick Info, so a chat with him. Australia's women playing in India. We dealt with the test match a couple of weeks ago, but quite a lot of white ball activity over there. They finished their T20s last night, I think. No, they were one to go. One to go. Mm. My apologies. Uh, there was the wash-up of the test match at Newlands this time last week, which finished in a day and a half. There's Jiteshwa Pajara, be still my beating mm-hmm. heart. The rum machine is back in business. There's some Afghanistan politics, funny that. Funny BBL that. update. There's some stuff going on with Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka. It's a busy show. So... All right, I'm in the chair. Yeah, you're in the chair. You're back in business. So this is our last show together. We're reverting to Zoom or, you know, the other program we now use uh, once I get back to the UK. However, I'm back in Australia for a a few weeks, either side of the New Zealand Test Match show. We've got, you know, there'll be a lot of episodes where we're sat next to each other and that's always preferable. So this has been a nice run. Yeah. Um, We've recorded... Potentially Scotland in May. We we may be in the same place. Yes, that's true. Scotland in May for the Edinburgh Half Marathon. In fact, why don't I just mention that off the top, that Lord's Tabs, 30 grand target, ambitious target, more than 30 runners, uh, for whatever reason, extremely high demand this year in Edinburgh. It's a fabulous weekend there. Be part of it. 
Get in touch as soon as you can with Jeff or me or anyone for that matter. Hayley Fuller's running the fundraising on our Discord channel, but you don't need to be a patron to participate. Um, mm. We'll include, include you in the WhatsApp group. You'll be pounding the pavement with all of us. Izzy Westbury's committed to doing the full marathon because that's just what Izzy does. Yep. Um, so you can do that with her if you see fit. Many sign people up. Try, try to fill the spots before I can sign up. You I think know, we've signed to, you up. Yeah, I think with, uh, without you knowing about it, you've been signed up to the 10K. Uh, you and Abs are going to run that it's together. Extortion. Uh, so that's all thanks to the Laws Tabs who did great work into their 74th year of operation. What an organisation. If you like what they do, you can uh, learn about them in our, in our show notes. And David Gower, of course, our interview with him uh, before Christmas, back when I was mm-hmm. in the UK, that had a lot of stuff about the Tabs in it as well. I've just taken the kids to the cafe for our final breakfast so mm-hmm. if I've been here for 50 days that means Winnie's had uh, 50 baby chinos with a marshmallow so how she'll have to break the this is this <laughs> is going to um, reflect the fact that you have two children and I am researching a vasectomy um, <laughs> what, what is a baby chino I've oh, never mate, even known what one mate, is it's flavoured milk with a marshmallow on top right oh, and she doesn't okay. even really want the milk she just knows that it's extortion it's in order to get an early morning marshmallow right. it's like with all things kids you say you won't do these things you say you won't allow them to become dependent on iPads and so on and you yeah. just kind of we're going to keep them away from refined <laughs> sugar and screens yeah good fucking luck it's just impossible we've tried our very best she's nearly four. Oh yeah um, we've given it a red hot go but, you know, some things are just accepted and banked in now and yep. that's one. So if she's had 50, the downside of that is that, well, we had our Sydney Live show only not even two days ago. Mm-hmm. feels a lot's happened since we interviewed yeah, Nick Hockley at the SCG yesterday. That's also in the feed if you're interested in all things cricket administration and his backstory as well, which I don't think many people knew a lot about his backstory. So mm-hmm. we've given you a good, hopefully a good overall picture of where Nick Hockley fits in. I can't in. wait till we do the Jay show on to round out the big three. <laughs> we, we had Richard Gould. <laughs> We had uh, Nick Hockley, and I'm sure that Jay will be more than willing to, to line up to tell us his, his relatively brief backstory <laughs> It'll have to be for a man of 19 or whatever he is. <laughs> It'll have to be over here because we're not getting a visa into India anytime soon. Uh, certainly not uh, as things stand at the moment. So we, we've, we've, we've had a nice time in India. We've always enjoyed going there. I don't anticipate being let back in there for we've been too critical of the BCCI, and that's just the way these things go. Um, yeah, so uh, 50 baby chinos for her, but only one hard solo for me. I've been oh, scouting yeah. the hard solos. Mm. I'm glad it was um, uh, Dave of Mark Latham, uh, Dirty Potley shirt fame, who yep. um, was in my presence after the live show when we saw the hard solo on, on tap, tap. And I was able to finally set this straight. Yep. Low on fist, so you can slam it down fast. Mm-hmm. And you, you, your kayaking really picked up after <laughs> that, I've got to say. <laughs> As you come on board. If you run hard solo out there, if hard solo is your brand, we are the right people to promote it in the same way that we're the right people to promote flavoured milk. But yeah, so the Sydney Live show was an absolute hit. We packed out the Comedy Store, full national tour last year. We've got a mini show in Adelaide. We've had some yep. messages asking about that. Jeff, you're doing that with yeah, Baz. Yeah, 19th, I think the okay. 19th of January, the Friday night. It's during the test. It's a live story time. It's me and Barrett Sundarace and it's at the Arkaba, which I've been firmly instructed oh, yeah. you must pronounce that way because I think I said Arkaba. I didn't didn't know how to do it anyway. Yep. So the Arkaba is, 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 a, is a, an Adelaide institute They've got a, a sports bar that they've renovated up in there, so they've invited us along. Great. Um, so we will, Barrett and I will record a daily show at the ground, <laughs> then head to the pub and do a live story Have time. you considered, I mean, without wanting to piss on your cornflakes mm. here, doing a story time show with Barrett might 
throw any... Oh, yeah, it's going to be one number each. <laughs> I was going to say, you have to be mindful of the way he treats his story time answers. I know I'm sort of... Uh, I'm throwing stones in the glass house sure. there. I've, I've gotten along with my answers as well, but Brett's yeah. are their own thing, aren't they? I'm trying to figure out if we can do a kind of tripod song in an hour thing of doing a live <laughs> one. Like, can we get someone to... Can we get numbers from the crowd before a break and then solve it in the break? I don't know if we can do that satisfactorily, but yeah. it'd be... If, if we could figure out the logistics, it'd be nice to give it a go. If you had a pretty good steer on the clue, yeah. I think that's the key thing. A free well, hit, I think it would just be a free... have to be yeah. a free hit number. it have to be like a list of free hit numbers and we pick out one that we like out of the list and do that, okay. something like that. Okay. All right. Could well, work. I'm, I'm sad know. not to be there for I am living home mm. uh, after living alone for so many years. Life was never good. That was played uh, last week, wasn't it? When we were at um, when we were at finishing school with yeah. Andy Andy Mack, and so they um, that was that was an exciting. You could really Jebediah you could really see how old we are. Mm. I mean, a lot of people at that night were old. This is finishing school institution in Melbourne, where mm-hmm. they skewed their New Year's Eve show to parents and to people of, of a certain age, where they said, "No one can get a babysitter on New Year's Eve, so we're doing New Year's Eve on the 29th instead." Mm-hmm. Why don't everyone come and we were probably the median age. Yeah, we all celebrated December 30 uh, at midnight. <laughs> Happy December 30, the big night. Works um, well. Yeah, and, and Jebediah did get a run. Right, so uh, let's get into the main part of our discussion today. So we're only a couple of days away from finding out the Aussie squad for the Windy series, which means the opener debate will be finally put to bed. Mm-hmm. I think a fair bit's happened here since the Test match. So Cameron Bancroft's comments or the interview with Cameron Bancroft a couple of days ago at the end of the Test match before he played a big game. I thought it was really weird, but he was asked questions about whether it would be appropriate, not, not, not appropriate, that's the wrong word, whether it would be comfortable him slipping back into that dressing room, right. given everything that's happened and his interview in, what was it, December 2018? It made yeah. your book, didn't it? The, the uh, famous uh, Bancroft interview with Adam Gilchrist, where he implied that the bowlers knew what was going well, on. No, that was a separate interview later. That was like a year later or something oh, like right. that. Was you the one on Fox? To, no, it actually much it was even, it was more recently than that. It was like a year ago or 14 months ago or something from now. Okay. The, Fo- the Fox one, the Adam Gilchrist one was pretty, that was the kind of softening up, the, that was the PR angle one so that he could, when his ban was about to end on December 26th or 27th, whatever it was, and he was going to come back and play Shield cricket and they did the, uh, you know, you've been away and you've learned a lot, haven't you, mate? You know, you've been to the yoga retreats and um, you're a changed man. I thought uh, that, by the way, for the record, I thought that was all right. Like, I thought at the time, yeah, it's a rare interview, you could ask him more questions, but yeah. this guy had been through a fair bit and a few half ollies, he was probably just... Uh, he probably had a few a few coming. There, there were there um, were some absolute bullshit answers that got no follow up whatsoever. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, that was more the point for me. But sure. Anyway, that that was that was just softening things up. But then, yeah, this other interview was much more recent. Okay. It was maybe a year ago, and it was it was along the lines of you know he he made some comment along the lines of. Um, like, what do you really think was going on kind of thing. So there was an implication that, that other others knew about it, which, of course, is what many people believe anyway. Um, and well, then Usman Khawaja's hinted at that himself, yeah, having and, been there that day about yeah. collective responsibility that well, he was he just, pushing yeah, for. Well, his, his, his version was, you know, that he thought the best response would have just been to take collective responsibility yeah. and, and do it as a team, which has some merit for it as well. But it's, in any case, like the idea yeah. that Bancroft, who's played so much cricket since mm. the ban ended in... 2019 mm. and has played test cricket. I saw Mitch's column. Well, yeah, his was the very end of 18, wasn't it? Because it was end, that's of, right. end of December. That's right. Yeah. But, he, but nevertheless, he, he returned to the Australian yep. test side in 19. Yep. I think that's lost. It's a bit uh, Mandela effect. People have completely forgotten that he played test yeah, cricket again. Actually, yeah. So Mitchell Johnson's column a couple of days ago, I think he's like missed that bit. And I'm not 
having a crack at Mitch, by the way. It's just I think a lot of people out there don't remember that Bancroft actually did get returned or recalled mm. to the Aussie Test Briefly, team yeah. and was wrongly dropped. Like the, yeah. He gutsed it out at Lords in tough circumstances and they and they went to Marcus Harris for the third test. He was on a bit of a hiding... Yeah, he was on a bit of a hiding to nothing um, before he sort of conquered the moving ball in English conditions, which I think he's done a lot of good work on playing for, well, Leicestershire than Gloucestershire in the mm. last four summers. So um, that's part of it too, but they're not going to England anytime soon. The debate feels live. There was a little hint from Andrew McDonald about the Smith thing though. So since we've last had a conversation about this, Steve Smith, oh, we might've talked about it briefly on day four on The Daily Show. Smith is out there saying he's keen to do it. McDonald said that Smith's been talking to him about opening for a number of weeks. This isn't sort of like, mm. you know, as we joked, we've been talking about it on the podcast. Pete Lawler's written an article, Smithy's read it and, you know, now is interested. This is sort of something, a conclusion he's arrived at. And I'm like, I feel uh, happy for Smith that he's had that thought process that mm. he's... Because my instinct was that uh, he'll feel so uncomfortable changing the status quo. It's been so long since he's batted four. He wouldn't want to be taken out of his comfort zone. I think sometimes we use a bit of kidology with Smith. Yeah. And instead, he's the one who's on the front foot thinking about what might be, to use his words, one final challenge in his test mm. career. Whether they do it or not, they might, they might not. It's more that I admire Smith for believing and understanding that there might be more to him than what he's been in the past as he reaches a different stage of his career. And, and it's been diminishing returns at four over the last few years yep. as well, so there might be that too if, if things, like, yeah, I mean, I think people forget that he made a, an Ashes Test winning 100 at Lords and, yeah. and, and World Test Championship, championship final. final as well. So he was always good in London. Steve Smith, his, his tour of London numbers are very high. But, you know, overall, there have been a lot of those middling kind of scores. He makes a lot of those 30s or whatever it is. And um, I don't know, may, maybe it freshens it up. But then Cummins, in his presser after yeah. the test, pushed back on it quite hard and said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't think that's the way to go to have someone who's not grooved as an opener coming in to do that job. It's a specialist position. Um, and he kind of said, you know, not playing the rule in, rule out game, but his, his instinct was that that's not what he wanted to do. So it comes down to George Bailey and that's why he gets paid the, you know, the moderately big bucks, right? Like this is actually his job. So, and Tony Dodder made, let's not count our yep. daughters in this. They've got, they've got a big decision to make and how they do it. There's no perfect answer. There's no dreadful answer. Whoever they go with, even if it's Cam Green outside chance it'll be green now but if they are desperate to get green back and they don't want to go the Smith shuffle model then mm. the only place he can fit right now is opening even if it's green he might be fifth in the depth chart as we think of it right now I don't think that's a bad, bad outcome either they've got two tests against the Windies to make the most of the situation shall we say at home two tests in New Zealand on what's likely to be they'll look green we know the pitches will look <laughs> green they'll do a bit for half an hour but they'll be dead deadish uh, tracks they tend to be over there these days and then quite a long time before they play India at home so yeah anyway there, there's there's a whole bunch of options none of them perfect none of them dreadful Australia are topping the World Test Championship chart Jeff I just thought that was worth dropping in here they've overtaken India on uh, on match ratio, as it was known in the 1993 AFL season. So Australia at 90, uh, 56%, India at 54%, having uh, gone one all in, in South Africa. Relatively small sample size for India. Australia have played eight of their WTC tests already, five of those in England, three against Pakistan. But it does mean if they beat the Windies 2-0, as we expect they will, they'll start to I wouldn't say they've got one foot in the final, but they'll have certainly recovered the losses of mm. the points they lost, the penalty points during uh, the... Now, what was that? During the Leeds the test, the Manchester yeah. test, whichever one it was, where they had all up 10 points deducted for slow over rates. So they'll have effectively made that up in, in the space of five home test matches. And that's the goal now, isn't it? I've seen the World Test Championship cop a bit of shit online 
in the last few days. Mark Butcher, who I have an enormous amount of respect for, by the way. I think he's one of the uh, the most well-considered, thoughtful members of the commentariat. But his view is that it, the World Test Championship is devaluing series. He, he liked it better when the series was the most important thing. Mm. And the World Test Championship spreads the value out across two years and makes each individual series less meaningful. I don't share though? that view. I, because it, it's the cumulative effect of the series. Like, that's... Yeah. that's they're the same thing. It's the, the significance of the series is then added to a greater a significance series. again. So every series is significant. I mean, w- what it does, what it has done, as we've talked about, ad nauseum is baked in that two-test model, but, you know, that was already there. But, you know, in sure. order for teams to tick off their obligations and get their two-test series in. But the significance of those of, of each match in a two-test series is more elevated than in a five-test series because you've only got those two opportunities to bank the points. Yeah, quite right. So the fact that Australia lost two test matches out of their eight so far has less of an effect because it was yeah. within a five-game series. Yeah. And it also informs Australia playing the big three quicks at Adelaide and Brisbane. They've, they've shown their cards here. They've said oh, they're going to play them all the way through because yeah. I, I don't think... If, if we were in the pre-West World Test Championship world mm-hmm. era... I'm pretty sure they would have done a bit of R&R with a view to New Zealand and just generally speaking to blood someone, like using these test matches. I can easily see a world mm. where, I mean, Stark got left out of the Australian test side 11 times in three years when he started his career. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it was he in never situations... never played more than two in a row. Two in a row. Right? And a lot yeah. of it was situations like this, like, right, you've played three, you'll, you'll, you'll freshen up sure. for one here. And Stark slash Hazelwood could have missed one each against the Windies, but it's pretty clear they're going to play all the way through and leave nothing to chance to maximise the points in, mm. the, in the world test championship context but that, and that's also to do with the relative age of the bowlers um, that thing where you've got younger bowlers and you want to look after them for stress fractures and all the rest of it you know all, all of Australia's quicks are in their 30s now their bodies are basically made of you know asbestos and gristle <laughs> you know they're just they're just gnarled beaten physical specimens who can't suffer any further damage and and there is this kind of obsession with with cricket people where it's always about what's next what's next what's next who's coming up who's coming through the ranks development are we do we have a succession plan, who are we grooming to be the next in line and so on, um, in order and you're like, okay, so the point of that is to develop a really good player, right? That's the whole point. That's that's the, the end goal is to have a player who is really mm. good at it for a period of time. When you've got them, you've already got them. Like you have to give them the opportunity to play. You have to. You have to let. You've, you've developed these players. You've got to let them do the thing that they do while they've got the scope to do it. And they're all there. They're all fit. We know how how random that can be. We've seen all the injuries Hazelwood's had over the last few years, for instance, and the amount of cricket that he's missed and the frustration of that. You can't take it for granted. It's so rare for fast bowlers to be fit. And and we've seen that with the stats of like bowling groups that have played together. There is there are so few. You know that that sort of all-time West Indies attack played six tests together. The McGrath, Gillespie, Lee, Warren attack played, was it 16? Something like that. I mean, and we think of them as having been around for years and years and years together. And they were, they played those tests over a number of years, but there was always someone missing. One of the four was always injured or off somewhere else or two of the four, and they were so rarely together. And and these four, these three fast bowlers plus Lyon, have been together for, what, 27, 28 test matches now. Nobody else has done that. That's more than anyone in test history. And I think you've got to give them the opportunity to play as many together as they can. Why not? enjoy the fruits of the the investment that's been made earlier. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. The only bit I'd add is that the way they stagger their retirements is going to be really important because what you don't want is three 
new fast bowlers yeah, coming of in. So, and that's going to be complicated by the fact that um, that Hazelwood and Stark might be right on. The, I know Hazelwood's yeah. younger than Stark, but Hazelwood's body, for whatever He's had reason, more problems re- recently. More recently, so it's been you wouldn't the want, most durable in the world really the last few years. You wouldn't want those two to walk off within six months no. of each other. I'd expect that Joe Richardson nutrition will take care of that. It though, right? should do. It should do. Cummins should stay on and lead the attack for a couple of years, well and truly, yeah. um, after the other two have finished up, whenever that happens to be. But even Stark, you know, I, I might have said during the Ashes, I probably did, that he was entitled to finish up as a Test player whenever he saw fit, given how much he's given to the Test team and the sacrifices he's made financially by not playing in the IPL. Or, you know, I know that's maybe not as cut and dry as we put it sometimes. His reputation has grown outside of T20 circuit land, and now he's um, yeah, benefiting he with a massive contract. probably made all of that money back um, in the off. contract he got. This year. He might have. Probably not as much, but still, your point. Your yeah. point's fair. It's, but it's the back-ended, it's the Buddy Franklin 10-year yeah, back-ended yeah. contract. The Alistair Lynch 10-year yeah. contract. But the, but I think, based on what Stark's saying, he might be thinking, well, I don't know, four, 400 test wickets? Mm. Mm, what about 500? Four yeah. more years. It's might improbable. go back to England at 38. Yeah, it's improbable. But he might yeah. go, oh, if I can get the... I'm only 60 away from 400. So what, I'm 160 away from 500, am I? Mm. What, say so four more years? Five more years? Yeah, you can see... Or my, I guess the overarching here is that Stark's not retiring anytime soon. No. I think we thought he might. He's not going to. So it could be Hazelwood who is the first to, yeah. um, to cease. And then. Yeah. Anyway, that'll be the decision uh, for George Bailey as well to make sure they don't have three players walking off at the same time as they did at Sydney yep. 40 years ago and as they did at Sydney in 2007 as well. Uh, we've got one more piece to get through in the first half of our show or the first third of our show. We're going long today, it feels like. Yeah, uh, Daniel Rasul, I, I teed him up before, a fabulous writer for ESPN Crick Info. Uh, he was a travelling journalist on this series. He was there for every single day of it. And his reflections here on Pakistan's month in Oz. Well, joining us today is Daniel Rasool from ESPN Crick Info, the Pakistani correspondent. We've really enjoyed sharing your company uh, across the last three and a half weeks and, of course, last year in Pakistan as well. You're making your final word debut, as it were, and I suppose you're doing so with Pakistan feeling weirdly upbeat despite losing their 17th test in a row in Australia and 3-0 here, but it doesn't have that kind of energy. Do Do you sort of share that view? It's a weird one because in Pakistan, it's hard to convey the extent to which not losing in Australia in a test match has become a national obsession. And now playing here almost feels like one of those, you know, one of those time travel movies where where whatever you try, whatever you do, ultimately you end up at the exact same destination. And even though (laughs) Pakistan tried some different things and and took a circuitous route, they they thought they were doing things differently. They'd have a different outcome. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Um, They can draw encouragement from the second and the third test, particularly the second. But ultimately, I think part of uh, what makes Australia so hard for Pakistan is they've got into their heads. It's a mental challenge believing you can beat Australia in Australia. And, and I fear until Pakistan do it one time, um, they, they won't know how to and they won't believe that they can. And there's also the issue of opportunity, right? Like the last time Pakistan were here, that was 16-17, wasn't it, Adam? And, and it's now 2023-24. They don't get the, the marquee invite every four years like India and England get with, you know, with a one-day visit and a T20 visit in between times. Um, there are a handful of Pakistan players who've played in the Big Bash, but uh, not so many compared to, you know, the, the 480 England players who seem to come out every year and, and play in the BBL. And so just just being used to being out here, um, being accustomed to the conditions and so on, you know, unless you're Ahmed Jamal and you've somehow managed to play club cricket out here, those opportunities come around so much less frequently. 
Um, to be fair, Pakistan were also here in 2019, played a couple of test matches in Brisbane and Adelaide, but then um, they got swept aside. That was arguably their most miserable tour. They lost both games by an innings. David Warner scored the triple hundred. Um, but you're right. In terms of getting opportunities in countries like Australia and even South Africa to some extent, it doesn't happen too often for Pakistan. And I thought one of the things, Mohammad Hafiz has said some interesting things, some of them aren't really to be taken seriously. But one of the things that he said that I thought was fair was um, what Pakistan need to try and do is make sure they have eight tours, under-19 tours. And even when they come to Australia, make sure they have enough practice and warm-up games. Because, to be fair, Canberra isn't really the sort of surface the Manuka Oval isn't going to prepare you for what Australia have in Perth. Um, or even Melbourne and Sydney. Um, St Kilda, the junction oval, similar, doesn't really prepare you for those conditions. So if you don't do Australia often, the one thing you can try and do is make sure that when you do, you're prepared for it, you have a decent run-in, you are accustoming yourself to the conditions well enough. And again, I think part of that is due to finances, part of that is due to scheduling. Um, it just doesn't happen as much anymore. And for a country like Pakistan, who don't get the chance to visit Australia often, that means they are going to be caught out with regards to preparation. I suppose the other thing leading into the series was the state of flux that Pakistan were in uh, off the field following the, the World Cup exit. Uh, all the backroom staff were turned over. Mohammed Hafiz, who you touched on before, was uh, acting director, acting coach, acting everything seemingly. Um, how do you think that's going to play out in terms of who will ultimately end up coaching this Pakistan side into the, into the medium term? I think it's one of those questions that oh, that's almost impossible to answer, partially because it's got nothing to do with cricket. Mohammad Afiz is director, uh, the chairman is Zakar Shroff. He was here to meet the BM in Sydney last week as well. But that has probably more to do with when general elections are held in Pakistan and which party comes out on top, because in Pakistan, the, the patron um, of the BCB is the prime minister. And at the moment, we've got in Pakistan a caretaker prime minister and consequently a caretaker chairman. The chairman can't really make any real hiring and firing decisions, which is why you saw Barber had to resign rather than be sacked. Um, just yesterday, Grant Pradburn announced that he was resigning. He couldn't be sacked either, even though I know that the chairman wanted to. Um, so it's 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 just it's just to do with um, how do, that side of things, the political side of things, takes care of itself. And uh, we should we should know more by the end of the PSL, so maybe in about eight weeks. But the point, the underlying point behind all this is this is really no way to run a cricket board, to run a uh, run in in a cricket mad country. And uh, um, the fact that Pakistan hired Mickey who, for all his faults, has won a test series as a visiting coach in Australia with South Africa a few, about a decade ago now, or slightly more. And he was sitting at home, wasn't here, part, uh, part of this tour, while Mohammed Hafiz, who's never had a coaching job in his life, hasn't done any coaching badges, and was both coach and team director, speaks of the dysfunction that Pakistan is uh, unfortunately um, aligned with for, for a long time now. So is it, is it a surprise then that they were actually able to compete the, at points on the field given that instability? Very much so, but I have I have my own theory about that. I I, I do believe the real surprise was was how many wickets they were able to take across the series with a severely depleted bowling attack. When they were over in 2019, they took 13 wickets all tour. Um, the fact that they took 16, then the full 20, then 12, it's 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 reasonably impressive because it didn't have a specialist spinner. Um, unless you count Sajid, who played the third test, I wouldn't count Sajid. Then they had Shaheen Afridi, who was resting the third test. Haris Roof made himself unavailable. Naseem Shah wasn't available. Khurram Shahzad was injured after that first test. Um, my theory is it's partially to do with the fact that Ahmed Jamal is genuinely very good and they've been sleeping on him. But also, 
there's not enough of the Australian top order who I believe are in peak form. Um, Mitchell Marsh, I, Mitchell Marsh, I thought obviously had a really good series, and Manus sort of came back strongly towards the end. But I think they were slightly helped by the fact that Australia, Australia's batters are also slightly finding their feet. Having said that, the fact that Sean Masood was captain, who while his batting has always been in question, I thought I thought tactically he was very adept and should get better if Pakistan continued to play more Test cricket. Um, but I think it was a bit of a confluence of factors. So some of the pitches helped bowlers. Some of the bowlers were potentially better than you expected. And it isn't exactly a legendary Australian batting lineup. And I think that means Pakistan had slightly more chances to edge Australia out in a couple of games than they would otherwise have had. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, bowlers are in the game more in Australia in the last couple of years than they were in the, in the decade or so before that for the most part. I wondered if there might be, is if... Partly it, it might have almost been an advantage that you had these uh, fringe players coming through and new players coming through because, like you said, if at the start of the series, had you picked Pakistan's first choice attack, it would have been Shaheen, Nasim Shah and Harris Raf would have been the, the three quicks lining up. Only one of them was there. He only played two of the test matches. But that gave opportunities to Mir Hamza to do the, what he did in Melbourne and to Jamal to work his way into the series and you know Hassan Ali to come back in it sort of worked for India um, a, a couple of years ago, getting down into the, the, the further into the depth, I suppose, into the ranks um, and giving players an opportunity who really didn't have anything to lose and, and freshening things up. Do you think that might have actually worked in Pakistan's favour? I think it might have helped with the pressure and expectations. Um, it's good you mention India because no one ever reminds you of how India won a series here. No, every time, every yeah, time yeah, no one talk. talks about it. <laughs> Every every time I tried to talk about how depleted this Pakistan side was, I'd have someone saying, well, India did it, why can't Pakistan? I think part of it is that the pressure was off. But then the big issue with Pakistan, I believe, is it's hard to take encouragement from a series when you don't know what's going to happen in six months' time. So if this is a solid foundation to build on, then sure, you can say 3-0 in Australia, it happens. They were decent, they competed in Melbourne and Sydney. And so this is something to build on. But then Pakistan's next test is in eight months in August against Bangladesh. Uh, you don't know. You don't know who the chairman's going to be. You don't know who the captain, arguably, even is going to be because there's such there's such a state of flux in Pakistani cricket, and I think that's the real worry. In the last three years, despite how little cricket Pakistan play, they've given out 16 Test debuts. Um, no other side has done that, even even side that play a lot more Test cricket, and that I think is part of the problem, that it's hard to know what to expect when Pakistan play next and hard to know what success and failure looks like and how the PCB will measure that and judge that. And if Pakistan had these solid foundations, then they could use the series as a springboard. But until such time, every series is almost looked at as its own individual series and own, own individual episode. And that, I think, is the real dysfunction at the heart of Pakistan. It's a good point. I mean, if this was a foundation with Barbara Azam being desperately out of form with Shaheen Sharafridi only playing two of the three test matches. If, if There is clearly headroom there, right, uh, under Shan Masood uh, with two global superstars not performing at their best in this series or in Shaheen's case not being picked for the third test, resting up for the T20 series. Shan has talked so much about wanting to play more test cricket. Jeff and I have reflected a number of times around the fact that there's only nine further test matches for Pakistan in this WTC cycle, so four series of two, plus England coming out late this year for three to Pakistan, two against Bangladesh in August, three uh, in December, November against England, and that's your lot for 2024. Uh, but Shan does want 
things to change. He's spoken stridently about this in all of his media engagements. He wants more test cricket than is currently being played. I'm just interested in that piece to this, that if Shan does have the ability to shape this team over a number of years, perhaps the way that Misbah Al-Haq was able to take them from a very low ebb to the top of the world in, in 2016, whether he might have the authority to get more test matches played in Pakistan and influence at least the home schedule? I think what Shan's doing there is slightly impressive in one way because what he understands is that being test captain means more than just picking which bowler to bowl the next spell. It's it's a wider responsibility towards cricket and towards test cricket in Pakistan. And I think that's the mantle that he's trying to take up and run with. Part of it, again, has to do with how many teams want to play Pakistan due to the finances, due to viewership, due to eyeballs, due to how exciting... I guess Pakistan cricket is, and that's the bit that he can control. He's trying to control that by trying to be more aggressive with his field settings, with his bowling changes, with the way he bats. Um, he's led by example there. I think aside from Mitchell Marsh, he had the highest strike rate of any batter across um, both sides of the series. Again, the, un- the unknown is how long Shan will be there because only four tests ago, Shan wasn't part of the side. When England was over in Pakistan last year, he only came in for the third test and he, he'd been dropped before that. His 32 test matches have come across nine different stints. So it's 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 hard to shape um, a side in your image when you don't know how long you are going to be in that side. And I can, I can very easily see two or three different innings or maybe a couple of series where Sean has a bad run and those sorts of whispers um, come up again. If, if, if he can, I think he's a good man to lead Pakistan forward, not necessarily on the field, but because of how he can advocate for it, offered. Um, for all of Barber's qualities, that's something I don't think he was ever really able to do effectively. But again, if, if it happens, it'll have to happen in, in, in a structure, in an ecosystem that is ever-changing. And Sean somehow sort of has to continue to nav- navigate that which requires luck more than it does skill sometimes in Pakistan cricket. Yeah, and at the time where everything shifts again, focus to the T20 form of the game, that's where you're off to. Now you're uh, flying to New Zealand today. It's what, five T20s over there? Yep, five T20s with Shaheen Afridi as captain for the first time, yep. Right, okay, so uh, we'll be paying attention to Pakistan as we build up to that T20 World Cup in America and the West Indies with Pakistan playing their group games in the States where Jeff and I will uh, be in all probability. So we'll hopefully catch up with you there. Uh, Daniel Rasool, you've had a brilliant tour personally. Your writing has been outstanding. It really has uh, shaped the, the conversation in Australia. Safe travels. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and we'll catch up soon. Thank you. It's been really good to be here and share a press box with all of you. Take care. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. Final Word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thank you to Daniel Rasool for making time before jumping on the plane. Let's go back in the direction of the subcontinent ourselves. Sure. Australia-India women, test match one on Christmas Eve by the Indian side, mm. and Australia fought back hard in the one-day internationals. Yes, this, was, um, this has been quite entertaining, this series. So Australia whitewashed... The ODIs, um, the second biggest ever run chase in women's ODIs in the first of those games. Um, so India made 282. Yastika Bhatia, whose work you've mm. enjoyed particularly. The stylish left-hander. Stylish? Stylish. Billy Stylish. Double threat, so dual threat. Yeah, she's keeps. got great, great hands behind the yeah, stumps too. Yeah. Big um, fan. Yeah, doesn't always get to take the yeah. clubs, but does keep well. So she made 49 opening, but they were 182 for seven. And then Jamima Rodriguez and... Pooja Vastrika, who is mm. one of my real favourites um, the last few years since. She came here, came to Australia and played in that, 
that series up in the up on the Gold Coast and was just outstanding during that series. Seam bowler, bangs the deck, smashes the ball down the order. So she's batting at nine. She makes 62 from 46, batting with Rodriguez, who makes 82 from 77. Very, very enterprising partnership. Wickets get shared around. Six wicket takers, the two leg spinners bowling for Australia in King and Wareham. And then Australia just strolled it. They chased it four wickets down. <laughs> Four overs to spare after Healy makes a duck in the first over. They probably relish chases like that. Yeah. Remember a couple of years ago they were... In New Zealand made a big score in one of those lockdown mm. matches and afterwards, yeah. I think it was Rachel Haynes says something like, yeah, well, we didn't mind that. Mm. Gives us the chance to flex our muscle a little right. bit. Um, you know, with, with batters like Perry and then Litchfield, mm. who's just... Well, she's emerged. She's more than emerged. She is set now. She's oh. in the top few batters in Australia. Uh, and then talented players like Mooney who remain mm. in their peak. Like They see more runs to chase, more runs to get, more yeah. fun to have. We remember when Adapatu made that 178 not out in Bristol and then Lanning chased it. Was it one down or two down? She, she made, made 150, 152, yeah. I think. 152 yeah. not. Um, and she's not there anymore. So this is the post-Lanning era. You know, no Lanning, no problem at the moment. Litchfield opening makes 78. Perry at three, the old Lanning spot, makes 75. Mooney, 42. McGrath, 68, not out. And that's it. So they just walked that one in. Ridiculous. The second one, Australia they bat first 258 for eight. Um, yes, if you're annoyed that we're doing the scores the English way, I just, I've been doing OBO all for weeks and that's how we have to I do think it. I, I take the view that if I'm doing Australian radio or whatever it is, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm in Australia doing an sure. Australian test match, fine, Australian yep. way. Yep. Everywhere else does it the other way. They do. So um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with this. As, as internationalists, in, in the same way that I think everybody should be using kilometres and everybody should be using degrees uh, Celsius, um, Probably. It's probably it's time for us to stop being the Fahrenheit country of the cricket world and, and go like runs runs are the things that we need the game and then the wickets are the secondary. I contradict that on miles an hour, miles per hour with bowling. Yeah. I like miles per hour with bowling because the overall yeah. if you're a fast bowler, hitting one hundred is like the 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 goal. You know, right. if you're a super fast bowler, more than one hundred and sixty kilometers, one hundred yeah. miles an hour sounds special. So I, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but Have the I, only thing yeah. with that is is human height. Like feet and inches. I, I can't visualise what a 172 centimetre person looks yes. like. I have no idea. If you tell me you're 5 foot 8, I know what that means. <laughs> I'm 6 foot 5, I know what that means. I don't know what I am in centimetres, I just don't know. Um, it, it doesn't stick. Anyway, the point is, um, <laughs> they make 258 for 8. Litchfield 63, Perry 50, so the same two. Contributions all the way down. Gardner's the only player in single figures. Uh, Deep T Sharma takes 5 for 38, so another bag for Deep T, who's been doing that a lot lately. And then this one ended up being get to the a stunner. Richard Gosh and Jamima Rodriguez again get together. They're 159 for two just past halfway, cruising when Rodriguez gets out. And then there's a little bit of a squeeze. Sutherland and Wareham start slowing things down. And then they get Richard Gosh for 96 just before she gets to 100. They squeeze the lower order. Deep T Sharma's still there into the last over. 24 not out, but they fall three runs short. India, eight wickets down. Almost got there, but not quite. Lose deep the series. Tea. Yeah, and deep T five for, and then almost the, the yeah. match winning innings, but not quite. And then after that, it must have been just a letdown. The third ODI, they get thrashed, India. Litchfield, 118. Healy, 82. So Which I think gave Litchfield the most number of runs ever in a three-game series in India or something like that. Done. I read one of those factoids that jumped out at Crick Info. Yeah, 50-50-100 for her through the... Um, through that series. Middle order collapse, but Gardner, Sutherland, King make some runs late. Australia make 338, their fourth biggest score in this format, and bowl out India for 148. 
the league spinners take five wickets between them. Sutherland, a couple more. Perry, 34 half centuries in one day international cricket. Now. How many tons? Two, only two. two. Yeah, he had that. Yeah, com- she didn't make one for problem. years. Had that. I guess it was a not a problem. It was a good problem to have when she, she went. She from, was not out a lot. She'd be ninety, yeah. not out a lot because she'd be there at the end of a chase or whatever it was. Because she, she made all of those half centuries. You'll have this written down in a spreadsheet mm. somewhere, Jeff. But after the twenty. 15, 20, 2014, 15. Yeah. It was around that time when one, she started. She made one or two before 2015 down the order. Yeah. And then they brought her up to four at Hove, I reckon, in 2015. Yeah. And then after that, she made one like literally every second innings for the next five years. Well, that, that chart you can pull up on Crick Info with the cumulative batting yeah. average. So her batting average for the majority of her career was probably 20 something. It's up to 50. Five, I think, in one day cricket mm-hmm. now. We'll have rarely seen a career that's gone for as long as it has before having an incline like this. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there, there wouldn't have been anyone in one day well, cricket. Well, she batted 10 on debut. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, God, and she's it, been around a long time. Started when she was 2007, 16. 2007, wasn't it? Crazy. Yeah. Think about how different the world was in 2007. Yeah. Kevin then, Sheedy was coaching Essendon. How <laughs> um, <laughs> how my brain works. Uh, what else? When, um, did they, did, when did they last win a final? Uh, 2004. Okay. So we're going to get it to celebrate the 20 years because the finals in 2024 don't start until after mm. the 20th anniversary. Okay. So even if they top the ladder this year, which they won't, and head into the qualifying final with a head of steam, they'll still okay. be 20 years without finals wins. Interesting. First T20, Litchfield, again, batting at six, this time in the T20 team, makes 49 off 32. Australia all out for 141, so she almost had four 50-plus scores in a row. And then Tita Sadu, who, yeah. who debuted recently last September, I think, at the Asian Games took four for 17. I like this. She's 19. Yeah. Like, this, is the, this is the story of the WPL, isn't mm. it? That they're getting these players who are getting a chance to play on television in higher profile cricket and then they're going, well, this is exactly what happened with WBBL. Mm-hmm. Players like, well, Beth Mooney's the best example of that. Wouldn't have been anywhere near national selection. Yeah. Bang the door down through the domestic T20 comps, gets opportunities for Australia. Well, so it proves here for Sadhu, who probably wouldn't have been anywhere near it at that age totally. and did well in the WPL and here totally. she is. Yep, um, and, you know, Mooney, Harris, these kind of players. And Grace Harris did come back in for the T20s. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so so Sato gets Mooney, McGrath, Gardner, Sutherland as the four wickets, pretty useful through the middle. And then India, just piss it in. 137-run mm. opening stand. Smriti Mandana, 54. Mandana. Shafali Verma, 64. And Mandana gets out just before the end, and um, they end up doing it one down comfortably. And then... Second T20, Australia win it. India 130 for eight. Kim Garth, who came into the side for Alana King, takes a couple, Sutherland and Wareham again. Uh, two for 17 and two for 18, respectively, from their four overs. I watched a bit of this That's in the pub shopping. after our live show with watching yeah. Garth and shoot bowling together, just swinging, yeah, yeah. Like, hooping the ball. Shoot. Hmm. She's still doing it, right? Like her stock delivery, even when bowling to left-handers, yeah. she has the bravery to set a ball well outside the leg stump, knowing it'll still train back towards the woodwork. It takes mm. LB out of the equation, but she's so effective there. And Kim Garth, she's put on a yard, I reckon, since mm. the last time I, I've seen her bowl. She said she wanted to be leading the Australian attack. She's keeping Darcy Brown out of the side at the moment. Uh, that takes some doing. She's, uh, well, what, what Kim Garth now, mm. she's a World Cup winner early like last really year. really back there. Like, I've been interested yeah. by just because, because you know, I've, maybe it's just a me problem, but I've always seen her as a good and useful player rather than, like, that sort of dominant attack leader kind of position. Well, and, it's and just Australia being in the have, system, right? Being, yeah. in, being in the Aussie system helps you 
maximise your potential. So mm. what she was able to do for Ireland and what she's able to do for Australia, there's yeah. a gap between those two levels. I guess they've just got so many decent-seeming all-rounders that in my mind I'm like, I'm not sure where she sits vis-a-vis Sutherland or, or Heather Graham or other options who've got similar kind of skill sets. Um, very, very quick segue, as we mentioned Ireland, it was uh, immediately put to me by a member of the Cricket Island administration last night who'd listened to Andy Cockley interview and um, uh, took a mental note of the piece where he said that he would like to play, he would like Australia to play a test match in Ireland before the next Ashes. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, we should hold them to account for that as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, anyway, the point is that, um, yeah, 130 and Australia chase at four wickets down. Perry in her 300th game makes 34 not out from 21 balls, hits a six off the last ball of the 19th over to win the game. Happy days, Elise Perry. Um, and Grace Harris, who came into the side, faced two balls in the first game, didn't bowl, and then got a thanks for coming in the second. So poor old Grace. Happens a lot to Grace. And Jodie Hicks. Yeah, she, um, she had that when India. she came back in the women's ashes at the start of 2022, I suppose. Well, even it when been. she debuted in 2013, she didn't get a hit. I think she played in three of the games and got a hit in one of them. Mm. Um, smacked a couple in Cardiff. I reckon she hit a couple of sixes and made like 15 not out or something and then didn't, didn't get a hit in the other two from memory. Uh, Jeff, no, before, sorry, 2015, not 2013. Jeff, we're going to stay, uh, broadly speaking, with India after... Can we just mention 300 games for Elise Perry? Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah, I, know, I know that. Elise Perry gets all of the plaudits compared, still compared to any of the other players in that team. But like you said, 2007 start, it's like the prodigious amount of work that she's put in and the fact that she still has the hunger to keep turning out for Australia when, like your Mitchell Stark comparison, she had, she would have had every right three or four years ago to say, nah, it's good, I'm done. It probably helps that, you know, earnings have, have gone through the roof in the last few years, but she was probably pretty well set up before that, I would have thought. And she said during the week that she's open-minded to playing 400. You know, this, is, this isn't sort of like... Farewell lap territory at all mm. for her. Um, it might be, as you say, the, the financial incentives are there, which is a wonderful thing. Mm. Uh, we've talked a lot in the show about players from a generation ago even who pulled up in their late 20s or mid-20s. Isha Gua, a good example of that. Ebony Rainford, Brent, another, who said that this is not going to quite pay the bills, mm. whereas now it'll pay the bills and some if you're someone like Perry. And sure, she's done so many other things she's so high profile that she'll never want for work but still mm. the, the the wider point stands that there is now an incentive structure for players like her to keep playing deep into their 30s and even the way she's been able to transition from being the best bowler in the world which she was for a number of years the most important fast bowler going around she's not really needed as a bowler for Australia anymore they yeah. have totally overtaken the needs they use her occasionally I'm not sure how much she bowled in the one day as this time around I wasn't paying attention to that particular part of it in the middle overs but still she isn't uh, she be, she is and has played as a specialist bat for years now mm. and that's credit to her ability to continue getting better we often hear that from dominant athletes I just want to keep getting better Nathan Lyons says it all the time right? I want to keep improving at this late stage of my career right. Perry's actually doing that and why wouldn't she play 400 games unless she wants to go off and do something else which she'd be entitled to do mm. uh, there's no reason why we won't have another celebration of her in a few years time yeah go on go to 400 go to 500 I don't know see if you want it enough why not? Um, what else have we got? We've got South Africa. We've got before, India. Yeah, before we get to that, just wanted to uh, say that we um, we have been wonderfully supported by Seba Super uh, through the course of this Australian summer. That's true. And even though I'm uh, I'm taking off this evening back to the UK, it is still very much the Australian summer. Two more test mm-hmm. matches here, two in New Zealand. Women's test match at Perth. Bunch of one-day internationals and T20s. The Australian women will play against South Africa. Lots of other cricket around the world, including uh, the England men playing in India. Uh, 
we're going to be very, very busy, boys. And throughout the summer, uh, we're bringing these shows to you in conjunction with Seabus Super. In year number 40, we've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months just explaining where they fit in. For people who might have found the show more recently, of course, we first started working with Seabus all the way back in May 2019. But this milestone, you mentioned Perry's 300th game. 40 years is pretty bloody significant well, for October an October 2018, really, because they did the... Um they did. did. They the did series the UAE. In the UAE. Yeah, so they've had our back for a long time, Seabus, and uh, and um, they've enjoyed telling their story through our podcast, and their story's a mighty one. 8.99%. So that's five years. Hang on, they're 40 years old. That's five years. We've we've been there for one-eighth I like that. of the of the Seabus journey. And, and, and Elise Perry's probably played one-eighth of Australia's women's yeah. internationals, if not more. Oh, probably more. Almost certainly more, come yeah, to think of it. you would have. I mean, yeah, there, there wasn't nearly so much white ball stuff going no. on before... I mean, well, they, there was no T20s really. They only had T20 for mm. a couple of years by that point. And she played very early in the T20. She mm. didn't play Australia's first T20, but she played in the first few because they didn't start in 2004 when it when it started in England. They they started more in. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong off the top, but off the top of my head. Maybe it's 06 when okay. they when they start playing T20. So her cricket. career spans the entirety of Australia's T20 international just journey. Just about, about, I reckon. She, I reckon she plays like the third T20 that Australia plays. Well, Seabus like spans the entirety of the superannuation story in okay. Australia. There we go. To stick with that, mm. forty years in in two thousand and twenty four, the year we're now in. You're it. I know. Yeah. I'm intimidated by that. Feels like five minutes ago that we were mm. celebrating the turn of the millennium. I don't really like even numbers. You know, I prefer odd numbers. Oh, right. Feel more comfortable. Whereas I'm an even number kind of okay. guy. Yeah. You I like things be. marrying yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, I like things matching, being mm-hmm. divisible. Your prime numbers? Yeah, uh, I don't think I could correctly identify a prime number in the wild. But okay, I know what they are in theory, but I don't know what any, an example of any. You're of at them. peace with them, whereas I find them awkward. I know that you one, like to step on cracks. I like to step over cracks. I like. To, I know that one and three are prime numbers. Above that, I'm not confident. Uh, red, blue, and yellow are the primary colours. Primary colours, yeah, that's different. Is that right? Yes, red, blue, and yellow. Yep, because you can mix those together to make okay. purple, green, and orange. Nice to know that something from 1989 at kindergarten is stuck yeah. in my brain. It's funny that Winnie's the same age as I was when I would have learnt that. The, the anyway. only the only times table I could do because I'm spectacularly bad at numbers for some reason was the sixes. So goals, the sixes mate. I goals. got. Surely goals is I the reason. Th- I don't think I was like even that much of a footy head at that point. Okay. I don't know. I just it just worked, and so there was just something that meant that it had to be cricket. Okay. Because I can actually go oh 15.3 overs to go. Well, that's how many balls that is. Like yeah. that's the one bit of arithmetic I can yeah. do in my head. Okay. Aside from the 17 times tables from working on roulette tables. <laughs> no, I'm good at the sixes too, but I'm certain it's goals. Um, and hearing those numbers repeated sure. time and time again. Yeah. At eight fifty six, etc. Where are we? Cbussuper.com.au. Here's another number for you. 8.99% average returns across that 40-year span. Their past performance in their default brackets, my super, close brackets mm-hmm. account, is no uh, indicator of future performance as splendid as it is. Yep. And um, we look forward to telling you more and more about them and their story and their pioneers and the people that made it possible and the innovative policy solution that is super across the next mm. couple of months. We don't have a new pledge for you today because, well, uh, we've got a lot on. Yep. <laughs> we haven't quite gotten around to that. Story we, time will be back this weekend, though. Yep. We've, we've, we've got we, a fair bit of... We, we, we're going to... Turbocharged story time a bit in the yep. next few weeks too. There'll be, there'll be a, a bit more action happening on that front because we've been a bit slack over the last couple of weeks. 
I think you can forgive us. I think most people will uh, understand we've been busy boys. But yeah, we'll do a nerd pledge. We'll do a story time show when I'm back in the UK for this upcoming weekend. And then we'll get back into that familiar rhythm where we have a nerd pledge number inside the show. But it's the nerd pledge numbers. It's the patron account. It's the Discord channel, which is the lifeblood of the final word. I was just corresponding with John O'Halen about this before, um, about how important this community has been for us through 2023. And so it will be in 2024 as well. That patron page, which is morphed into the Discord channels is such a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. All the photos on there following the live show, I appreciated all of those and the posts and so on from people who've had a chance to come out and see us do our show for the first time or meet us. There was a meet up at the what the Bob Hawk pub, Jeff, on Saturday mm-hmm. night, which yep. you were part of. I yes. wasn't able to go, but very good. Um, the, the 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 Kitsch Retro '80s Chinese restaurant in there does does Perfect. a fantastic service. I, I can't believe that you've not been inside that. They they serve a deep fried Viennetta. Oh what for dessert? Yeah. That's the signature Next year, dessert. Next time I'm in Sydney, I'll go to the Bob Hawke Pub. Hopefully problem. with our patrons. Patron.com forward slash the final word. Get involved now. And this year is going to be our biggest year yet there mm-hmm. with heaps of live shows, but also just heaps going on within the community widely, more widely. Adelaide live show on the 19th is free, by the way. You don't need tickets for that. So just come along. And the final word game in Sydney on January 26th will be at Birch Grove Oval. Please come by. We've got uh, scorers. We've got frog box. We've got commentators. There'll be a video stream. <laughs> There'll be commentary on the video stream. There'll be about 22 people trying to squeeze into an 11 one way or another. Peter Lewis is seeing how many he can muster for the opposition to see if we end up playing an 18 versus 18 sort of, um, you know, Victoria versus the gentleman of England style. And uh, we'll see if we can have a riot as well. Maybe we'll take some bets um, and we'll have a riot and storm the field. That sounds so much fun. Also, the Edinburgh Tour, not just the marathon in May, but the Edinburgh Tours, um, there's been some work going on behind the scenes. So more to say on that when I get back to England and can put some work into this. But we will be playing playing about five games, hopefully, in Edinburgh in late five August. games in Edinburgh in Locked late going August. On. One at night in Bangkok can make a grown man stumble. Uh, stumbling, fair bit of that happened when India played <laughs> South Africa and the Test match finished in a day and a half. Interesting that uh, AB was saying that it was too much T20 cricket that meant that in uh, South Africa's batters didn't have the skills, even though Aidan Markram made one of the greatest counter-attacking hundreds in the history of the sport on that absolute shit tip of a pitch that hmm. was going everywhere. And I mean, like, the crazy dangerous side of shit tip, not the, the sort of drab 600 play 600 side. I mean, that century surely has to go down in the annals of one of as one of the true greats. And he probably wouldn't have been able to play that innings, if not for T20 cricket, I would say. Yeah, that, that's all very fair in a losing effort. To think Aidan Markram wasn't seen as a good enough player to come to Australia for Test cricket last year, which does stand out now. He's, he's done so well in, in the white ball formats for South Africa, and he's probably now reached his peak. This will be the level that we can expect from Markram. Um, the question is, um, will he get enough Test cricket to, to excel in the long term in this form? That, that's the outstanding question, but we've done enough on that in the last few weeks, so we won't go back there again. We haven't got the formal pitch rating yet from the ICC. I think Chris Broad, the match referee, I'm, I'm not sure why that's been delayed, but mm. Chris Broad They're was the match referee. calculate ref- how low can they go. Yeah, well, exactly. Chris Broad was the, Broad was the match referee who, who marked indoor down earlier in the year before mm. you know, he went to a better hospital and got declared alive um, uh, <laughs> uh, which um, uh, which I don't think that's, that'll be happening this time around mm. Rohit Sharma was he's kind of uh, you know all, all the subtext and all the 
subterranean stuff here. So Rohit Sharma um, said the pitch was fine. Said no tr- no problem at all with the pitch before teeing off saying, I don't mind being on pitches like this as long as everyone keeps their mouth shut in India and no one is talking about the pitches there. So setting up the preconditions for what is doubtless going to be rolled out when England get there in a few weeks' time. Gavaskar got involved in this as well. As you'd expect, he's always got a chip on his shoulder. So our groundsmen do it deliberately, but their groundsmen just get it wrong. This relates to the piece, the interesting piece of this where the curator wasn't available at Newlands, so someone else did it. It was their first test pitch, so that might have been a... The curator was playing the SA20 (laughs) and was not available for... (laughs) So I don't know an awful lot about this story other than, you know, it's trending towards that conspiracy... uh, Sorry, cock-up rather than conspiracy. Right. uh, And and India are suggesting that, well, if it's allowed to be a cock-up in... Mm. But it's intellectually inconsistent, right? Because Sonny's saying there that well, if they're allowed to dodge up their wickets here... I'm, I'm not, I don't really know what he's trying to say. Is he, is no. he acknowledging that they're fixing their wickets in India and thus it's fine for South well, Africa to fix them as well? Or is, he, or is he denying that there's any intervention behind the scenes in India? There's and, never been any contention that the, the pitches in India are prepared that way deliberately. Like, nobody says that they're not. Like, the... the the home curators don't say that they're not. The BCCI don't say that they're not. And we say they're prepared to And the argument is that it's fine and good and right to do that. So, fine, that's the argument. It's not, but nobody's saying that it was an accident. Nobody's going like, whoops, we just got 17 consecutive tracks wrong. That's, and that's and not the how numbers it works. in Indian Test cricket change so dramatically. Some of Jared Kimber's work on yeah. this about batting averages in India pre and post when they've clearly made a strategic decision sure. to try and win test matches with the quick yeah. kills. Now, like maybe they got the work experience kit in to do this pitch and it went horribly wrong. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem it doesn't sit for me given there was that track at the Wanderers, was it last time India went to South Africa, Maybe which was the two same? times ago, was it? Was it was it was it I last reckon, time? I think it was the last time because it was a three test series and they yeah. and India managed to win one of them, but there was there was at least one of the pitches that was that was, you know, Mad Max Fury Road, like it was just exploding everywhere. It was dangerous. They somehow managed to complete the test match, but it was an absolute lottery. And so I reckon if you've had two of those tracks in consecutive tours, sure they weren't the same ground, but a couple of India visits to South Africa, they get absolute minefields. And, yeah, India managed to win the game on, on the minefield. That's the nature of lottery wickets right, at times. Yeah. But that does seem less consistent to say... I mean, just something like that Gabba pitch against South Africa. We, you know, we've been to dozens of tests at the Gabba and we sure. know that we've never seen another pitch like that. So I did accept the explanation that that was an anomaly because... Well, they, of were, the, the they were devastated. And, yeah. At the Gabba, they were devastated about the about the scrutiny yeah. on what's otherwise seen as one of the better pitches. Yeah. They just got it wrong. They, they wanted to juice it up because they wanted to have an exciting fast sure. pitch and, and like we shouldn't have favoured either side mm. given South Africa's attack included Rabada yeah. and Norkia yeah. and Jan- Janssen last yeah. year over here. Yeah, that, that's all. I think that's all fairly reasonable. But South Africa did win the toss and bat. Like, you yeah. know, they weren't exactly in on it. If that's right. the case, you know, Dean Elgar wasn't, oh, right, um, we've had a track prepared to, um, to make... And, and it, it doesn't stand to reason anyway because India's... Fast bowlers are of the best in the world. So I don't 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 know whether it's like this pitch has been rolled out with a view to executing a quick kill of India. I don't think it's a a conspiracy thing, but I think it could be like, okay, well, we're we're just going to make sure we give them a nice, a really juicy track here in order to, because this is something that won't suit the visiting team. And then, and and we'll back ourselves to handle it better. But that doesn't... and, And it went wrong. It got too extreme, but... I don't know. We'd, whichever way it goes, okay, uh, that pitch was a problem, right? So, yes. I mean, the, the sort of default defensive India position is, oh, you never criticise those pitches. No, everybody criticises exactly. those pitches. Yeah, and, and, and that pitch will get downgraded will by the ICC, appropriately so, and it won't be reprieved by the ICC because, well, 
it won't. It did in indoor, but it won't here. Mm. And if India, when they play England in a couple of months, have five tracks that are set up in the same way that the pitches that we saw at indoor... Nagpur and to an extent Delhi although that was a little bit different where earlier this year the world will say exactly what the world should say Mm. which is that the competitive balance is not being enabled between bat and ball in order to support the home side and it's perfectly reasonable criticism and I think they're I think that the response to some of this is quite telling yeah yeah um it's one person who rejected the uh uh, when we interviewed him last year, or when I spoke to, Ches- to Cheswa Pajara last year, he was critical of the, well, as critical as he can be, of pitches being set up that way in India. He accepted yeah. that there should be a greater balance between bat and ball. And while we've seen uh, mm. we've seen a pitch that suited him this week, yeah. Pajara, first round of the Ranji Trophy, he did say to us that he's not done yet. He did say to us that he wanted to make a return as a test cricketer. 243 not out for Sarastra in their first game of the new season, Jeff. His 17th double in first-class cricket. He's eighth in the Ranji Trophy. He does turn 36 in a couple of weeks. I don't think they're going to recall him, but I'm dreaming. I want Pajara back in Australia next year. Bring him back. Maloko. Pajara, collab, make it happen. <laughs> Sing him back to us. Um, he, he, was, he was the key part of India's two wins over here, I, I would say. Dominated more in the runs column in the 2018-19 series, but I still contend that India don't draw in Sydney or, or win in Brisbane if Pajara's not in those teams Absolutely. in in. 2021. His two slowest half centuries were in the the Sydney draw and the Brisbane chase, Mm. and I think there was the third slow, uh, his fourth slowest half century might have been the first innings at Sydney or whatever it was. It was guts from Pajara then, and it was class the previous time they were. And I know he played against Australia earlier this year, and it didn't go well, his hundredth test and so on. But I'd love to find a way back for him. And yeah, thirty boundaries striking at sixty eight. He's been posting all those Instagram videos. Have you seen his social media? Remember I don't the, do a lot of watching cricketers on Instagram. It's not really not in my, but I do my follow area. I do follow Pajara, and you know how Coley does those. Well, we've seen in the past those Coley net videos right. when he's getting the cover off it and just mm. the, the the oral experience. Pajara. Well, it all started with um, with Clancy. So it did, the, yeah, Clancy, Clancy did it, yeah. Cinnamon from who was working for cricket.com.au got in the nets and did the Coley compilation in that 2021 series, wasn't it? Um, I think it'd be 2018, but it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the sound off the bat. Tuk, 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 and Pajara's doing them now himself. So he's just doing his own with a little iPod set up at the end of the net. Or a little iPod. iPod, that'd be funny. He's got his iRiver out. Yeah, he's recording an MP3. But again, it sounds great. I think it's... It's, it's implicitly He'll messaging. He'll send it to you on Friendster. It's got the um, his Indian helmet covered up by a bit of tape when oh. batting in the Shrastra nets. But it's to suggest to people, I am evolving as a batter too. Yeah. I can play these shots. I'm not just, you know, the Rahul Dravid Mark II. Well, war. he always could. He did play one-day cricket. He did yeah. play yeah. T20 cricket. He can play aggressively. He just made a decision not to. He hit, yeah, as I say, 30 boundaries in that innings. 61st first class, 61st first class ton, get that out. He said last year he isn't focused on 100 hundreds at all, but... You know, just an eye to that as well. The other thing in the Ranji Trophy, we don't cover that too often, Jeff. There's 32 no. teams, a bit unwieldy, hard to stay on top of. It might be 38. It's, it's it's four groups of eight. Right. So you've got your eight times tables covered? No, not terrible yeah, at eight. That's, that's, that's yeah. 32. Okay. And it included this week a game where for Bihar against Mumbai, a 12-year-old made his first class debut. Which Why not? I couldn't miss this. So Vibe have uh, Surya, uh, Surya Vashni. Sorry, I've, I've taken two guys. Surya Vanshi. Vanshi, sorry. Made his debut. Left-handed batter. 12 years and 284 days. Born in March 2011. What were you doing in March 2011? 
from Christ, March 2011. This put me on the spot. I, I end, of the, end of the Ashes, 10-11. You wouldn't have been working Ashes in cricket. 10, no, I wasn't. I just, I just, Polemic come, writing. I just come back from living in Argentina. Okay. And I had, hadn't even started polemic writing. I don't think I started that till October that year. Yeah. March I was, 2011, I was still very much in Swanee's office. I wasn't far away from moving to England for a stretch. But I was probably at Golden Plains okay. in March 2011. <laughs> I was probably sitting on a couch in the Supernatural Amphitheatre watching, I don't know, uh, Joanna Newsom or something. Well, Vipav was being born. In March, I was 20, watching March Cat 20, Power. It might have been Cat Power oh, yeah. with Jay Maskus doing a guitar, nice. which is pretty sweet. Sea of Love cover, hopefully, got to run uh, in her set. So I'm surprised he's the youngest first-class player since 1986 in India. I'm surprised there's a caveat there. I just assumed if you're a, if you're a 12-year-old <laughs> lad, you're probably the youngest, but yep. seemingly not. He nearly made the under-19 World Cup squad. The World Cup starts in a fortnight, I think, in South Africa. Wow. So he's a prodigy. And how's this? In his debut, they get beaten by innings, but... Bihar make 100 in the first innings and 100 in the second innings. I wonder whether that's ever happened. So with a tw- Andrew Sampson, let us know. So a 12-year-old playing on debut and two innings of exactly 100. Our lad opened the batting. He made 19 in the first innings with four fours. He was eventually out to Shivam Dubey, who's um, an Indian representative in white ball mm-hmm. cricket. And in the second innings, he made 12. So, you know, 31 out of 200, uh, if you look at it in that. Uh, frame isn't a, a dreadful opening uh, to his uh, professional career and, and I suppose we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on him as he uh, makes his way through but yeah not much else on the Ranji Trophy other than Pajara bulk runs and a 12 year old playing but that season starts again Hi I'm Dave Warner and you're listening to The Final Word Afghanistan Give us another story. Give well, us a wave. This is more. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Afghanistan, give us a wave. Hey, Daryl, give us a wave. Yeah. Very Bay 13 behaviour. Um, yeah, this was, I mean, this kind of came through about 10 days ago and then there was a, an update today as well about pulling the no objection certificates for three of their star players. So Majiba Rahman, who's played a lot of Big Bash and, you know, people remember him getting absolutely carted by Glenn Maxwell during that innings and the, 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 the losing runs came off Majib, didn't they? As, yeah, as, well. as uh, I think Maxie said, he knew he was going to finish it with three sixes because he knew where he was going to bowl and proceeded to do exactly that. <laughs> very very Maxwellian kind of comment. Right. Uh, Fazal Haq Faruqi, who bowled those excellent yep. Yorkers and got sent home from the Big Bash for reasons as yet undisclosed. And Naveen Haq, who's been terrific with the ball as well. So three of their very... The three, of the three of the players that the T20 franchise circuit wants. Those three players went to the Afghanistan Cricket Board, which is the ACB, which does get a bit confusing if you spend a lot of time with Daniel Bredig, who's always talking about the old Australian Cricket Board, which was the ACB. A couple of times in our Hockley interview before he clarified, yeah. he said the ACB. I'm, I, as I heard him say it, people will hear this as yeah, something yeah. else. It's, it's CA, um, which, is, which is now different. It'd be weird. It'd be like if you changed your name and then someone else came along and adopted your previous name and were like, hello, I am now... I am now Gordon Sumner. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, they so they go to the board and say, well, we're not going to take a national contract this year because we want to play a bunch of T20 franchise cricket and we'll make ourselves available for, um, for Afghanistan cricket as and when. Um, look, you're probably not getting paid absolute squillions on your Afghanistan national contract. I'm tipping even though they're... Revenue will go up with the distributions as of this year, Um, so there'll be more money to spend. But you can make more going and playing in the ILT20 or whatever it is. Um, And if you're not familiar with the way that 
this kind of player admin works, uh, boards have to give a no objection certificate to a currently contracted player in order to let them play in a domestic professional league somewhere else. And they also hold NOC power for two years after a player has been nationally contracted. That's how the ICC rules work. Sometimes the ICC chooses to apply its rules. Not in the case of Afghanistan not having a women's program. They don't choose to apply that particular rule. But they did allow Afghanistan to apply the two-year NOC rules. So Afghanistan, the board said, well... You're not going to get an NOC for anything and we've cancelled your national contracts so you've got no money um, and you can't play for anyone else, which you would think in a sort of trade union sense would you could argue that as restraint of trade and extortion and, you know, blackmail, like had them over a barrel basically. Uh, and, and we're prepared to play really hardball with those players to push them back into line, which is what has happened now. Um, the official line from the ACB is that the players of their own accord came to the ACB <laughs> and suggested that perhaps they would like to take a national contract after all and that perhaps they'd like to take it on reduced terms so be paid Would even you like less. to do things the hard way or the easy yeah. way? <laughs> like So getting paid even less than they were getting paid in the first place when they didn't want the contracts um, and that they will have limited NOCs they'll be allowed to play a couple of T20 leagues. But it's all it's all pretty mafia, Adam, this kind of... Um, so the, the ACB boss said, we hope that they avoid making similar inconveniences <laughs> in the future, which is very nice place you got here kind of energy. Um, and they also threaten stricter action against anyone else who makes a, a similar move at any stage. So this is all pretty yuck. I mean, this is... We've generally had this position of the ACB being cast as the good guys who are unfortunately being pushed around by the Taliban and there's nothing they can do about it. The Taliban appoint the ACB. They, it's not to say that the ACB officials are sort of signed up members of the Taliban, but they're approved... Haven't got a party membership of the Taliban. Yeah, they might not be carrying the membership card, but they, they're approved by the Taliban to be allowed to run that organisation. That's That happened. There was a clean-out of previous staff and new staff were installed. So they know that they're there at the pleasure of the Taliban. There were stories that the Taliban the Taliban officials had an influence on how the World Cup squad was selected for Afghanistan. And now there's this, which is very much a like smack on the back of the hand, do not test our authority. You play for the country first and you pay, you take whatever we pay you and then we will let you make some money if if you play ball with us. Interesting that there's so much criticism of the Taliban or at least implicit criticism from the existing Afghanistan players. Like I'd imagine the divide between the authority, the administration and the playing group is going to grow yet further here. I just mm. ponder whether we might end up in a situation where the Afghanistan playing group say we're not willing to play for the country anymore. Like we'll mm. play as you know, Afghanistanis, as it were, like a World Series cricket style thing where it was the Australians playing the West Indians, um, whether they might reach a point where they're not actually willing to play for the, the national flag, given mm. the... Given well, a lot still, of them they still play it, under the old flag. Well, this is it. They're, well, true, and, and they're effectively in exile, right? The players yeah. don't live in Afghanistan anymore. Mm, for they're, the most part, for yeah. the most part, their families don't either. Yeah, th this kind of situation, you can see where you can imagine where the players will bind together and get yet closer because. So many of them rely on supplementing their income through the T20 circuit. And if they feel suitably aggrieved, they might start moving away from playing for the national team. That's an extra element I hadn't really considered until now. I, I would say that's unlikely because of the way that the money's flowing. So the increased allocations happened this year. Afghanistan, from memory, it's something like 18 million US right. that they're going to be getting annually as their allocation okay. for the next uh, for the period of the next broadcast deal, which is, what is it, four years or five years? Uh, and that money is being paid by the ICC directly to the Afghanistan Cricket Board under the control of the Taliban. So 
that's they they then have carte blanche over how to spend that. The the Jeff Allardyce ICC boss line, like you know, incredibly weak line was that oh we have we have no right to control how uh, member countries uh, allocate their funding as in we can't tell them to spend it on a women's program for instance because they're constrained by the laws of their country um that that kind of absolute nonsense and of course that comes from the board like yeah. Allardyce is rep- he's the mouthpiece he's but saying it, what's yeah. being told he but he's saying. still the one saying it and yeah. i think he should yeah. i think he has to take responsibility for that yeah. i don't think you, you get away with that people understanding that it, uh, his role as chief executive it's more beholden to the interests of the board than most organisations, it is. But, yeah. but I, I think if you're the person standing up saying it, you take responsibility yeah. for what's yeah. being said. That's, That's not a, well. a shoot the messenger thing. If you're the boss of the organisation, it's not his choice, but but it's his choice to be in the job and be willing to convey that message. Yes, that's more the point. If you're choosing to be the boss of the ICC, you're yeah. doing so with eyes wide open about exactly. who ultimately decides what latitude you have. Yeah, and so look, it's a it's a it's a vote at the board table. Um, there are countries at the board table who are very happy to have Afghanistan there and who have no interest in actually enforcing the ICC. CC's charter um, or, or making sure that Afghanistan stays in line with you know, basic human rights respect um, in terms of allowing women and girls to play any part in the, the, the national life in that country. That's the situation that they're in, but it, it's interesting that this is the first time that we've seen the national board moving against men's players yep. and, and really pushing down on the high-profile, nationally contracted men's players. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting... That's a significant move that that's happened at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that all... That all... Um, that's got more to play, I think. That might be a reference point that we look back on in a couple of years. Um, Jeff, you've also been looking at uh, Zimbabwe, nearly uh, having had a dreadful run through the second half of 2023. Yeah. They've nearly nearly knocked off Sri Lanka, which isn't for nothing. In, in an ODI, the first one got washed out. The marvellously named Joy Lord Gumby made 30, opening the batting. Um, Craig Irvin there, as usual, made 82. Zimbabwe made 208. And Sri Lanka just chased it with an over to go. Eight wickets down. Jeffrey Vandersay from Jeffrey. Vandersay Industries. He's back. <laughs> He's back. He made runs. He made like twenty odd at the end. He played a uh, played a scoop at one point in the second last over. Cricket's better for Jeffrey Vandersay. Yeah, bowling in the in the um, servo speed dealers, you know, <laughs> that he picked up on a drive down to the surf coast. Stopped in at the the BP on the Prince's Highway down in Geelong. <laughs> got himself a pie and a banana Big M, and he went, oh, a decent pair of shades for twelve bucks. I'm going to wear those to bowl in the World Cup in 2019. Um, yeah. He, he, with Chimera, who uh, Tushanta Chimera, love love him, love his bowling. Mm. Um, gets up bowler. you, it gets up you, and mm. he whacks a few down the order, mm. which he did here at number ten. They smacked a few boundaries in the second last over and, and got Sri Lanka over the line. And Janith Leonage, who has played very little cricket uh, for Sri Lanka, he's twenty eight years old, playing his second Sri Lanka match, made ninety five in the middle order. So um, that series is up and running too. BBL, we don't tend to focus much on it. It tends to get shunted to the back of the show and so yeah. it will continue this yep. week. <laughs> it, is, it is our lowest priority. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a few comps we have the, We have enough uh, space to cover. The BBL yeah. isn't one of them and that's Maybe fine. the Ranji Trophy and the BBL are yeah. equal last in and terms of the impossibility of covering them. And the IPL and the 100, they all seem yeah. to forward to that sure. same break. Yeah. Uh, but with the BBL, the, the biggest story of the week was a one that I'm, I'm really pleased to say wasn't as sad as it could have been. Sam Harper, um, who cops that whack 
uh, when taking throwdowns, he tried to play a lap at the MCG nets and the ball got under his helmet and he was bleeding profusely from the neck and from the chin and they were really, obviously, very, very worried about him. The players were distressed about the whole thing. So is Peggy, by the way. I wonder yeah. if you might be able to pick that up on the mark. Yeah, She's Pe- not Peggy, happy. Peggy's, uh, I think She's Peggy's slamming her water bottle down, uh, saying quite stridently, I want food to go with this water. Yeah. I'm sure um, I'm sure Rachel's on that. She'll be hearing uh, her, her cries as well. They're not. They're nothing at the ordinary. She'll be it's fine. Grumbling. She's had breakfast twice today already. <laughs> Believe me, she had some of mine. But yeah, the, the, the context with Harper is that it's not his first head knock. Indeed, it's had lots of concussions. One of those in 2017 was an absolute shocker when Jake Lehman's bat hit his head and in, in really oh, yeah. awkward circumstances when playing a shot when he was wicket-keeping. And that not only kept him... I didn't realise how serious this was. He did an interview that, that's um, re-emerged this week last year talking about the state he was in. He, for three weeks, had to pretty much sit in a blackened room. He couldn't open his eyes, couldn't walk straight afterwards because where he got hit in the head was affecting his nervous system or whatever that connection is between being able to walk. He retaught he was retaught to walk very quickly and obviously he's back playing professional cricket. Made a wonderful 100 against South Australia just before Christmas that caught people saying, well, Sam Harper, he could be a future Australian player. He's got every shot in the book. Um, he's clearly very talented, been playing mm-hmm. domestic cricket for a long time now. But yeah, so thankfully he's been cleared of having any fracture and cleared of having any uh, wider muscle problems up right. there in the neck. So he'll be back in the fullness of time. But still, that's the sort of thing when it seems like some players just have mm-hmm. uh, uh, some have a have a, a, a I don't know what I'm, a disposition for being hit in the head like Will Pekoski yeah. to his teammate yeah, Victoria like just a just a shocking run of luck in terms of um, the, the the you know nobody's expecting that the striker's bat is going to fly out of their hands and fly 15 metres and clobber you in the bonds it's not it's not what you expect Aaron Finch Aaron Finch has pulled the plug he um, has this is interesting because yeah we've um, worked with him a lot over the World Cup and he was like hey, you know I'm, I'm, I'm going to play one more big bash going to rev myself up for one more I think he was supposed to play the Legends League as well and ended up not ended up getting pulled out of that by CA because he had he was supposed to play big bash and there was some he didn't get an, he didn't get an NOC did he something I think like he was that. he was on the cusp of playing in it, right? And was flown home at very short notice. So he did play this season, but he's decided that's it. He's pulling the pin. He'll have his formal farewell lap on the thirteenth. I think January. that's nice, by the way. Given the Renegades are, are struggling, they've won one game in the season. It's it's only right that they give him the chance to play. He's not in the side right now. Yeah, he's he's out of the team, and they're giving him one more game, a farewell game. Why not? He's been a champion of the Big Bash, the second most runs ever in the competition, mm. led the Gates to victory against the Stars back in the season of 2018-19, that thrilling finish, might have been 19-20, either yep. way, that thrilling finish at the end where he as fielding captain managed to squeeze the Stars and get the win. So, um, And he's been an icon of that team. He's a one-club player, played in every single season of the Big Bash. So you know, Aaron Finch, he's not going to play any more domestic T20 comps around the world. This is it. He's got the door open for the legends and the retired guys' leagues, but not going to play in um, mm. any of the, the stuff for the active players. So yeah, a really long career. He's had a couple of different retirements and this is the last of those and he'll get that one last game at, at the Docklands on the 13th of January. And Glenn Maxwell's been doing Glenn Maxwell things um, a couple of the shortened games where he's had the winning hand including the one the other day where they need three off the last ball so he played a switch hit 
as a left-hander um, to backward point where it hit a fielder, ricocheted off him into a gap in the field down towards <laughs> deep third, which meant that they were able to run three right. from the last ball of the game to win it. Um, very Glenn. Very, very Glenn. 32 not out of 15 balls against the Renegades. 35 not out of 18 against the Hurricanes. I think that was the ricochet game, the Canes one it might have been. Well, it gives um, them a chance to make in the finals, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I went through the table before recording and, uh, you know, down the bottom, the Gades and the Thunder have only won one game each. And the Strikers have got two wins, which really means it's going to be the Hurricanes with three wins or the Stars with four wins. One of them's going to make the four. Mm. Um, and then you go into a McIntyre Final Four system. Right. Second semi, first semi, prelim, grand final, how it should be. Um, after that, so yeah, they could sneak into fourth, which when you consider how they started the season, both Victorian sides were going like bustards. They've dragged mm. it back and two of those wins were Maxwellian uh, in their complexion in rain-reduced, as, as you say, rain-reduced fixtures. Pretty much every season, women's and men's. Why are the two Melbourne teams so bad? Well, most of the time. there are theories on yeah. this, and it goes to the administration, the way the sides were brought under, back under the Cricket Victoria banner. Remember they were separate with separate boards, mm. and then CV took them back over again, and that correlates to when they started going shitly again. Mm. So, anyway. I thought they were pretty bad in the first few seasons. But, yeah, the, the Stars made the semi-final stars. about five times in a row, okay, and yeah. made the final once as well, I'm pretty sure. Right, and um, then they tanked. And then they started... conflating that with the women's Stars, who've always been awful. That's true. In terms of runs, Matt Short, 351 runs at 70, a strike rate of 156. His mm-hmm. time is clearly now. Like, they're going to start yep. picking Matt Short for Australia in, yep. I think, both white ball formats pretty much straight away. Aaron Hardy. I like that also that he's opening with Darcy Short. So you've got Short and Short together at the top I of the like order. It. A pair so, of Shorts. Yeah, very good. Uh, but there's Aaron Hardy, who we've been talking up for a couple of years now. He's second for runs. Lynn Sanity in third. Uh, Fraser McGurk, who's clearly the Maxwell heir, okay. 213 runs at a strike rate of 164. Only Lynn and Maxwell have a higher strike rate than Fraser McGurk and Maxwell. You can see Maxwell's uh, anointing mm. Fraser McGurk into his spot in those white ball teams whenever it is that he stops <laughs> playing for Australia, which is a nice thing. Barrett, uh, Barrett really enjoys learning Australianisms and, and having the authority on them. So he was very proudly telling me that when when Isha's wife had asked why they'd referred to Fraser McGurk as the rooster, he was explaining the concept of being a rooster in Australian <laughs> culture, being like, you know, a sort of strutting alpha male and all the rest of it. And he was like, yeah, you know, I know what this means. And I was like, no, no, they call him that because his name's McGurk. McGurk. You know, and he's like, ah. Oh. He was very disappointed because he thought... <laughs> Both things might be true. He thought he'd nailed a bit of the cultural uh, zeitgeist. Well, but McGurk's not got that number plate, doesn't he, on his flash sports car, which is like, it's something ridiculous. Like, it's his, uh, it's his nickname or it's right. his... Run, total high score or he's a Larry guy okay. um, he obviously started again and done well at South Australia this year with the ball Xavier Bartlett's averaging 12 mm. you know, he's only 25 running he, for president he, he could he could end up uh, Bartlett for Australia he could end up um, <laughs> vaulted into that World Cup squad again we, we, we said it with the women he's playing with the Heat the Heat are undefeated that's the other side of the table by the way Heat undefeated and there is uh, another side that's doing well uh, you have Perth. To believe, uh, Perth scorches one loss the Sixers two losses so they'll be the even the if I had watched not a minute of it this year, I would still say Perth, Perth probably. Perth, yeah, yeah, probably. Probably Perth. Um, probably the, the heat, probably Perth. And Dam Sams, Dim Sims, uh, is Tim um, Sims. Uh, the forgotten man of the last 12 months. He was very much a pandemic player for Australia, wasn't yeah. he? In all the extended squads. He's taken a bunch of wickets that not many for the Thunder, despite them going dreadfully. And 
tall Paul Walter is becoming a cult hero. Um, you know, Essex fringe player until a couple of years ago outside of the T20 stuff. Gets this opportunity to play in the Big Bash. He's six foot ten or whatever it is and taking wickets. He's been there at the... He's got the third most wickets in the comp and he's been out there at the end of two close chases there for the Brisbane Heat and he'll be playing finals. So, you know, who knows? At 29, mm-hmm. maybe playing well in the Big Bash might be enough to get him into that England white ball team that's going to experience a fair bit of turnover between now and the World Cup, you would think. So... Uh, all you can do is uh, make runs and take wickets and get your chance around the world. And he's Paul Walter has done that. Just be a terrifyingly massive dude. How would you yeah. convey six ten in centimeters? I have no idea. Taller uh, than Peter Street. Yeah, there are a lot of two meter Peters. Yeah, Fulton, Fulton Street. Street. There's another one. Isn't there are many more? There There's many another more. one. Anyway, he should be called Peter Walter. So he could. He could. We should change his name by DP. <laughs> Peter <laughs> Gordon Sumner Walter. Tall Paul, two meter Peter <laughs> Gordon Sumner. Um, Adam Collins, uh, ACB. Now, so if, if Tall Paul takes us back to England, a bit going on there this week with. Yorkshire. It's always a Yorkshire story, isn't there? They really, really are... They're, they're, I don't know. They're like the that friend you have where you're like, well, you give him one more chance. Let's see if he pulls himself together. <laughs> and then they're like, I just crashed a car into a donut shop. And you're like, oh, can, Yorkshire! Why? Yorkshire! Just get out of there. Um, yeah, so they've, they're, they're going... Back to are they confirmed as going back to Colin Graves or, or is they it probably are they briefing are. that they're probably going back to Colin no, Graves? No, and can you can you in thirty seconds explain <laughs> what going back to Colin Graves means? A consortium designed to help pay off all their debt which is partly a function of losing all their sponsors after the parliamentary hearings in 2021, the Azam right. Rafiq hearings. Uh, they're in a world of pain still financially, and Graves and Co, I don't know who Co constitutes, are trying to take the club back over. Graves was chairman between 2012 and 2015, when a lot of the Azam Rafiq, I mean, a lot of the players from the Azam Rafiq era are playing there, and right. they've since accepted responsibility either by publicly apologising to Azeem or not fronting and not challenging um, yep. it, it, at the CDC. They accepted some of the charges at the disciplinary panel that they had been an institutional Well, they didn't attend, right, so a lot of them didn't go to the CDC, whereas Michael Vaughan went there and had um, You had have, you have a heard. choice whether to push, whether to contest the charge or accept the charge, and they accepted four of the charges. That, that's my point. So yeah. by, not, by not actually going and fronting the CDC, they accepted what was written on the p- piece of paper. And a lot of this does relate to when Graves is chairman. Graves falls... You won't be surprised to hear, Jeff. He's one of those who refer to all of this as banter, not mm. racism, which has been and something that Azeem's... I think he's calling this book that, isn't it? It's not banter. It's coming out next year. Which, so. which is... and I mean, he said all of this after the hearings and after the findings have been handed down. Like, the Colin Graves assessment yeah. of it was recent. He was, he was like, he literally, after the club has accepted that they have been institutionally racist and that they allowed it to happen at the club, he comes out and says, well, I never saw or heard anything. Oh, great, you never saw or heard anything. You were the CEO or uh, whatever. You, chair, you, yeah. Your chair, your position. I mean, you weren't in the dressing room most of the time. So either you you weren't there or you were willfully blind to it. But who cares? Like, it, it's, just, it's just such an irrelevant thing to say and then to say that, oh, well, there might have been a bit of banter. That's the whole point. We just did years on why that's not what it is. Like, there has been a very long and detailed process explaining why that's not what it is. And then you're like, I've completely ignored the results of everything that has happened over the last few years. Also, I would like to run the club again. Like, fuck's sake. 
and and after running the club, he went to run English cricket. Remember, he was the chair of the ECB after Yorkshire and, and until, gosh, it was the pandemic, wasn't it? 2020 when he finally finished up in that role. So back in time with Yorkshire, if the members don't reject it, they've got three weeks now mm. to consider this option and the members will ultimately vote on this, which I think is why Azim Rafiq's been out there talking this week. He described it as a complete moral failure on behalf of, on behalf of the game to even consider allowing Graves back to the... Uh, the levers of power at Yorkshire. He's calling on the sponsors to do what they did in 2021. He's saying, well, if, if this worked then to uh, to bring upon change, maybe it'll work again. So he's asking the sponsors to say that if Graves returns that they will um, withdraw their support of the club. I'm not sure if they've completely replaced the sponsor board they had before right. the parliamentary hearings. Those parliamentary hearings that Graves didn't front anyway. With it, by the if way, you so were a sponsor, why would you want to have your name on that? Well, I think that it's reasonable to say that at the back of what was found with Yorkshire accepting responsibility. You know, yeah, I mean, Lord if, Patel, they, if they make that move, if they, yeah, if they right, go back yeah. to their previous regime, why would you then want to stay associated That's with right, because I'm sure a lot of the work that was done behind the scenes was... We've changed, baby, we've changed. We swear, we promise, we're different now. Yeah, well, work was done behind the scenes yeah. to do as much as they could in a short space of time, but... Yes, it does feel like we're, we're going into a bad place there again. A lot more to come. Uh, we'll try and do more on this when I get back to the UK, which is tomorrow, which is mm. why we should probably um, wind up this show. Maybe you can get back in the hammock. I'm planning on spending yeah. some time there when Peggy has a nap uh, this afternoon and then uh, you'll go back to Melbourne and then we'll mm. reconvene in Melbourne in the final week of February when we go to the Sports Commission Awards and all of that. Yeah, who knows? We might even win the thing. It's hard to, it's hard to see us winning it, but we might. We're the, only, we're the only independent-run podcast in the final four so we will be the cool runnings of yes. the podcast awards we will yes. carry our bobsled across the line and we'll win the hearts of the crowd and nothing else save that for the um save that for the victory speech jeff mm. but no in all probability we'll have a very nice time at that it's great to be in the final four it's been great being back in australia i've really enjoyed my time here it's been wonderful being able to sit next to you recording these podcasts rather than looking down the screen as we will be again soon but you know what we're used to that that's how we do most mm-hmm. of it that's our default setting yep uh, being online Lots more to come, interviews, story times, daily shows as of a week and a half from now with Jeff and Barat doing the, the West Indies Australia series. I'll be doing more of the England-India stuff that follows. And, um, yeah, we'll, we will talk to you again very soon if you enjoy our work, as we said before, patreon.com forward slash the final word. And thanks ever so much to CBUS for being such great supporters of us and to every one of our listeners, those that came out at Melbourne and Sydney, those who didn't, those who will be there at Adelaide and everyone across, um, across the world who have uh, decided to make us part of their cricket appetite. That was good. That'll that was do. very smooth. That'll do. Cricket appetite. Cricket appetite. Whatever. I diet. Ha- I have diet. Cricket diet. Cricket diet. I have a strong appetite for cricket. For cricket uh, podcasting. I wish to consume cricket. <laughs> All right. Enough, enough, enough. Okay. Bye. See you later. You know what I meant here. I had to go about.